Now, John chapter 14. This morning, we want to be thinking about the event in Bible prophecy that will begin the end times. It's an event that could happen today, but it might not happen for another thousand years. Most people call it the rapture, sometimes the rapture of the church. Previous generations called it the translation of the church. But from the very get-go of a, a message on the rapture and the beginning of the end times, I want to quote our Lord Jesus on this topic. And in Matthew 24, our Lord Jesus says, But of the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming, so you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. It's it's interesting. I, I fancy myself as a an observer of the major media. Sounds like a little bit loud there, James. Maybe on the lapel mic. Let's crank it down just a touch. Nobody will go to sleep with it that loud, but uh, that, that'd be a good thing. But uh, and I don't watch that much mass media anymore. But my observation has been uh, the major mass media, the mainline mass media doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to evangelical Christians. They don't really understand us. They're pretty sure they don't like us. But the there are two types of stories, two types of events that the uh, mainline mass media never misses, okay? Natalie, about evangelical Christians. Number one, if any self-ordained, usually, evangelical preacher is an axe murderer, they never miss that story. That'll be a major story for a couple of days. And then um, if anybody who claims to be an evangelical expert, whatever that means, predicts a specific date for the rapture, which always comes and goes, right, Trey? The media loves that. I mean, they're all over that. And as recently as just a couple of weeks ago, we had, this is a headline from a British paper online version, but it was all over the, the world, the major mass media, in the end of the world on September 23rd, 2017, shock Bible prophecy warns the rapture is coming. The end of the world is upon us and we are in the middle, we are in the end times according to a growing number of Christian conspiracy theorists who believe copies, codes in the Bible and signs in the heavens mean the rapture will be soon upon us. The main purveyor of this theory is Christian conspiracy theist, and even Fox News told me he was an evangelical expert, and I've never heard of the guy, but David Mead, he was a numerologist. He was a, a an evangelical numerologist, which is kind of like a uh, what an Islamic, uh, uh, what do you call somebody who does uh, horoscopes? Uh, Astrologer, like an Islamic astrologer, they really aren't such no such thing. Uh, but anyway, David Mead uh, promised us that the the rapture would take place on September twenty third, and it's funny because that morning we woke up, uh, Debbie and I, and we had no electricity. So I thought, well, maybe he was just partly right. Maybe <laughs> just the electricity was going out everywhere. But uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing we get. And so, uh, with the words of our Lord Jesus ringing in our ears, you don't know. And you can't know the exact date, but you need to be ready just in case. Uh, let's try to become more rapture ready this morning without setting dates or being influenced by those who do. Okay, So let's pray for uh, teachability, the God's word. I mean, 
the Spirit inspires the text, preserves the text. Now it's our chance, um, Abby, to study the text, and the Holy Spirit can illumine it so we can understand it and apply it. And this is, you know, this isn't just about a book. It's about the author. And when you study the book to get to know the author, I mean, the divine author. So um, even a, an interesting topic like prophecy is really about David Demerson centering on Jesus Christ because the rapture could happen today. And even if it doesn't, it's important for him as a believer to be centered on Jesus Christ any day, every day. So um, very, very practical stuff here. But let's pray for our teachability and sensitivity to the spirits leading this morning and also for our peace officers, firefighters, and uh, active military. Okay? And uh, Anthony, lead us in prayer, would you please? Amen. Thank you very much for that. Anthony, um, I think we've only got like another day to be voting for the most valuable coach. And if you haven't taken the chance just to go to that website, register, it takes 30 seconds to register, and then you're able to, to vote for coaches. And uh, the number one coach based on this ballot will get $50,000 for his school sports program. The next 14, the top 15, not counting the very first person, gets $5,000. And the last time I checked, which was yesterday afternoon, uh, Andrew Bowers there was 14. So, uh, but it's, it's very close between the, the last couple of people there. So if you haven't voted, be sure to vote today and tomorrow morning before the deadline. But if you haven't registered yet, it's as easy as going to the www.themostvaluablecoach.com. But talking about coaches and, and football and stuff, did you hear about the football team that was so bad, their defensive scheme was called the nickel package, but it wasn't because they had five defensive backs, it was because that's all it was worth. The only way their offense could gain yardage was by playing their game films backwards. And finally... The quarterback wore number 19. The quarterback wore number 19, which was also his overall semester grade average. <laughs> now, that very nice graphic was donated uh, to us by uh, my main man, Anthony Foreman. And we're going to talk about the rapture, what every TPF needs to know, make us more rapture ready. And let's think about two things. Where do we find the rapture in the Bible? You know, some people say you can't find the rapture in the Bible. I, I got my King James strong concordance and didn't see the word rapture one time, so it's not in there. And then what are three key truths about the rapture that we need to know? So let's, let's do that. And let's start here. The word rapture isn't in the Bible, but it comes from the Latin word rapturo, which appears in the Latin translation of the Bible called the Vulgate, in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 and 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18 is one of the three major passages I want you to know. that, And there are others, but those are the three major passages. And the text says that Christ is going to descend with a shout and believers will be caught up. Believers who are alive on the earth when Jesus comes back to begin the end times, will be resurrected in place. We will not die physically, but will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now the Greek text, which is what Paul wrote, uh, the verb caught up is harpazo. So if you want to call this thing the harpazo, as opposed to the rapture, feel free. But nobody's going to know what you're talking about. But in about 400 
A.D., a guy named Jerome in Bethlehem translated the whole Bible from Hebrew and Greek into Latin. And when he translated 1 Thessalonians 4.17, and saw the word caught up or harpazo, he used the Latin equivalent, which is rapturo. So we get the word rapture from that. So, you know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Bible is not in the Bible. But they're taught by the Bible. The Bible teaches about inspired scripture, like Second Peter talks about Paul's letters or scripture. And certainly the doctrine of the Trinity is taught in the Bible, but the term's not used. So yeah, you can, you can't find rapture in a concordance, but it's taught there. And it, that title's just a term based on that fact, referring to 1 Thessalonians 4.17. But here's the thing. Before we answer those questions, Here's a real important premise. Okay, here's the Bible, and you guys know this. The Bible is a big book, but it has only two parts. And the first part of the Bible is called the Old Testament. Okay, Abby? So all the books in your Bible before Jesus came, Genesis to Malachi, are called the Old Testament. And they emphasize one fact. Everybody sins and everybody dies, but God's sending a Savior. So hold on. And their faith was directed to the promises about a Messiah. Okay? The New Testament, second part of the Bible... It's written right after the life, death, resurrection of Christ. And its premise is Jesus is the Savior, the Old Testament promised, and he's coming back. So look busy. Look busy. He's coming back, right? That's the old joke. But when we think about Old Testament, what do we mean by Old Testament? Parts of the Bible written before the first coming of Christ. The Old Testament clearly teaches there's going to be one Messiah who's going to come first as a lamb, and later as a lion, first to die as our sins, second to put down human rebellion and set up God's kingdom on the earth. So just about everybody understands, all the Christians understand that now on this side of the cross. Hey, when you read Isaiah 53, you're talking about the first coming. When you read Zechariah 12, you're talking about the second coming, that kind of thing. So in the same way, the Old Testament talks about one Messiah and two aspects, suffering and sovereign. The New Testament teaches one return with two aspects. And here's this diagram I occasionally use. It kind of breaks down the book of Revelation. But what you got in the book of Revelation is a reference to the rapture and a reference to the second advent of Christ, the rapture and the return. In the same way the Old Testament says one Messiah will come two times, lamb, lion, the New Testament says Christ will return in two phases, rapture, and second advent. So that's one of my operating premises as we try to work through these questions. And the first one is, where do we find the rapture in Scripture, in your Bible? Where are you going to find it? Well, you've turned to John 14. I think here's the first of three major passages, and there are many others. But Jesus says to the disciples representing the church here, don't panic. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go away, and you can't go with me, but you're going to come later. Don't be don't be panicking here. Hang on. Keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. In my Father's house, that's in heaven, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. This is, isn't just about now. This isn't just a philosophy of life. This is a connection with God that will last all eternity for you. And I'm going. He told him he was leaving to go to heaven earlier in chapter 13. I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. That's not the second advent where he comes and stays. 
That's the rapture where he comes for his church and takes them back to heaven to prepared places. Very important to see that. Um, there are three major passages here. We just looked at the first one, right? John 14. I love that. Now, that's not everything you might want to know about the rapture, but it's clearly a, an initial reference to it. And we're looking at not this, that's Jesus' lamb, not this, Revelation 19, that's Jesus as the lion. We're talking about him catching up the church and taking them to the prepared places in heaven, right? So we're talking about the rapture event there. Now watch this. It's very important to realize the rapture and the second advent, Cherry, aren't the same thing. Now please understand, most Christians believe they are the same thing. And I respect their point of view, but I'm going to, my conviction is they're not the same thing. And let me show you how that works. I use the simpler diagram. If you're talking about the second coming of Christ as a New Testament believer, uh, all born again New Testament believers believe there's going to be a literal second advent. We don't debate that. We understand that. But many Christians think these passages about Jesus Catching us up in the air, rapturo, caught up in the air, or Jesus coming down for the second advent, we're caught up supernaturally, and we meet him as he's coming down, and then we come down right with him. So they kind of overlap John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. They overlap them and see them as the same thing. I'm saying there are so many categorical differences, you can't do that. And, you know, it talks about rightly dividing the word of truth, right, Blanche? Here's one of those places you do that. So look at the differences. These aren't the same event. They're they're related, for sure, but they're not the same thing. Okay? In the rapture, the movement for Christians is up to meet him in the air. We've been caught up and meet him in the air. We'll see that in a minute. And then away to the prepared places. Second advent is down and stay. He comes down at the end of the trib and sets up a kingdom on earth. Uh, rapture happens in the air in the atmosphere. Uh, second advent happens where? Where does, where does he go back to? Where does he return to? It's, it's interesting, but Natalie, you've got the city of Jerusalem, and then due east of that, you've got a, a valley and then another mountaintop. It's called Mount of Olives. Jesus ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives, and he'll return to the Mount of Olives. That's second advent. That's not the rapture. Uh, where, where are we going to go in the rapture? What did he just say in John 14? To places he's preparing in heaven, right? Uh, second advent is to prepare the earth for the millennial kingdom. Rapture will end the church age. Second advent will end the tribulation period and lead to the kingdom. Uh, in First uh, Corinthians, we're told that this rapture event is a mystery. A mystery is something not that's mysterious and spooky, but something not revealed in the Old Testament, Okay. Second advent of the of Christ, the coming of the Messiah as a lion, is all over the Old Testament. But you got to distinguish it from the Lamb passages, right? So there's no way you could call the second advent of Christ a mystery, but the rapture was a mystery, and um, the rapture could take place at any moment. It's it's uh, called imminent, Scott. They call it theologians call this. It's an imminent event. It's as if history is hanging on a precipice from God's perspective. And when the rapture happens, the church is taken out, and the earth plunges into the debauchery of the Antichrist world for seven years, only to be foiled by the return of Christ. Uh, so it's a mystery in the Old Testament. The rapture is. It's a major theme in the Old Testament. 
And you've got different passages that talk about these different events. So don't be surprised if R.R.C. Sproul uh, doesn't believe in the rapture. He thinks the rapture and the second advent is the same thing. But I just got to respectfully disagree. Okay, let's look at the second major passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. We'll just look at the first couple of verses because I want 58 later. But uh, yeah, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and following. And look, Paul says this. I tell you a mystery. Let me tell you something that was not revealed in the Old Testament, Dr. Deeg, that New Testament Christians need to know that the Old Testament saints didn't need to know. It was not relevant to them. We shall not all sleep. The sleep doesn't refer to soul sleep. It refers to the death of a believer. The death of a believer is called sleeping, but it doesn't mean your soul is unconscious. We're not all going to sleep. There is a whole generation of church-age believers who will not die physically, but we're all going to be changed, and we're going to get a resurrection body like Christ had. In a moment, it's going to be supernatural, for the trump will sound. And see? Donald Trump's in the Bible. The trump will sound. Right? And the dead, those who had died before, will be resurrected. And then we who are alive and remain will take um, put on the imperishable. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This perishable body must get the new version like Jesus had after his resurrection. 1 Thessalonians 4 is probably the most important rapture passage. And we'll look at all of that here in the, our initial survey. He says... We don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those Christians who have died just in the last couple of years. They're not, they're not going to miss the rapture, and they're not just um, out of play. We don't want you to be uninformed, fellow believers in Thessalonica Bible Fellowship, about those Christians who have died because of persecution, because of the disease, and other things, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He doesn't say, so you won't grieve when you lose loved ones, but we don't grieve in the same way as those who don't have any anticipation of being with them again because of the grace of God. But if we believe that Jesus died and then was resurrected three days later, even so God will bring those who have died and their souls are with Jesus with him at the rapture event to resurrect them, to reunite them with their physical body supernaturally transformed. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, the generation of Christians, and right now, right now, Carol, the only generation of Christians that might be alive when the rapture happens is us. We're it. Now, every generation has hope for this thing, uh, and it might not happen for another thousand years, but right now we're the only generation it could happen to. But he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, the whole generation of church-age believers after the events of the first advent, or who are alive and remain on earth until the coming of the Lord in the rapture, the parousia is the word used there, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. We won't be resurrected first. We'll be resurrected second. In fact, the people who die first are given priority. For here's the big statement, and that's why I bolded it for you in the notes. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout. Remember he's preparing places there? With the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, those who have died and their consciousness went to be with the Lord, but they don't have a resurrection body, they'll be resurrected first. So let's say the rapture happens uh, this afternoon, and it might happen before then. Um, you know, as the Lord comes down, 
Bill and Joe, who were in Duncan Seminary, Seminary Duncan Cemetery. <laughs> Some of the seminaries today are like cemeteries, but uh, they're so far left, you know. But uh, Bill and Joe were in Duncan Cemetery, right? Did I say it right that time? Good. And, you know, absent from the body, 19, uh, August of 1999, they were absent from the body face to face with the Lord, but we buried their body, right? And it doesn't, if your body got blown up or something in a war or something or something else happens, God can find all those atoms. It's not a problem. He's going to take the physical, which, which emphasizes the importance of the now, which emphasizes the importance of the physical. We're not Gnostics. We're not Gnostics who believe it's only the spiritual that counts. Everything accounts, right? Everything's under the Lordship of Christ. But yeah, if the Lord came back this afternoon, I'm saying this afternoon because I'm not sure I'm going to be here much longer because I'm getting old and weak and tired, you know, but I think I'll be here this afternoon. That's not a guarantee either, is it? But, um, and some of you are thinking, it depends on how long this message is, whether we're going to let you live another week. But anyway, yeah, the Lord comes down and the spirits of Bill and Joe will come with him and God's going to supernaturally take the elements of their bodies that are buried, fashion a resurrection body like the one Jesus had at his resurrection, and their spirits go back into that resurrection body, and they're going to get their resurrected body first. And then he says in First Thess 4.17, Then we who are alive on earth, like you and me right now, will be caught up, will be rapturoed, will be harpazoed together with them. Who's them? Christ and the previously deceased church age believers who've been with the Lord but now have resurrection bodies, we get our resurrection body not in a cemetery but in place. Wouldn't that be an awesome way? Uh, James said it'd be an awesome thing if the rapture happened right at the end of this message. I said, I can't think of a better conclusion to the message. I mean, that would be awesome. I'll take it. Uh, but look, we'll be caught up, rapturoed together with them in the class and meet the Lord in the air. This isn't second advent. He's taken us back to the prepared places, and thus we'll always be at the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, Anthony, not a trick question. Use the uh, beautiful visual aid and the one prior to that to help me answer it. Where do we find the rapture in Scripture? Well, I'd say the three major places we find them are, can you think of a verse, a passage? What do you think? That's a good one. That's probably the most important one. Um Katie, can you think of another major passage? That's a good one. Yeah. How does she do that? And um, and now I'm really going to take a, a giant leap of faith. Debbie McCoy. And she makes all these PowerPoints up. I just kind of memorize the script. Yeah, John 14, right? So, I would, And there are other passages. We'll see a few of them as we go through this other content. But those are, those are three good ones. And you... So if somebody says, well, Kyleen, I heard your pastor taught that a demonic rapture doctrine. Do you know the word rapture is not in the Bible? You're going to say, no, but it's referred to in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And in the Greek, in the Latin translation called the Vulgate, rapturo is translated caught up. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus catching us up in place. There's a generation of Christians that will not die. I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, we're not all going to die, but we're all going to be resurrected in place. Okay, So, let's go from where do we find it to what are three key truths. And there's, I could think of 15 key truths, but let me just settle for three in the time we've got this morning. And I'm going to say the three key truths, Sue, are it's imminent, 
It's overhanging. It could happen at any moment, but it not, might not happen for another thousand years. So don't set a date. Number two, it will begin the end times. And in the end times, you've got God coming out so overtly pretty soon into the tribulation, there will be no more atheists, agnostics, or Buddhists. They're all going to choose sides over the creator, savior God, or the Antichrist and his crowd. It'll be just that black and white. It's going to become kind of like Genesis 1 through 11 all over again. Uh, very, very overt there. It'll begin the end times. And it has practical impact now. It's not just pie in the sky by and by. So let's look at the first one here, Scott. The rapture is imminent, impending, overhanging, could happen at any moment, uh, but not necessarily soon. But when it does happen, it'll be sudden. It'll be quick, right? Um, history's on this precipice. Look at Revelation twenty-two twelve, or just in your notes there, uh, if you want to do that. Doesn't matter. And I, well, I love Revelation twenty-two twelve, and I cite it quite often, don't I? But Jesus says, just at the very end of the Bible, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. That's, uh, for those of you who like Mexican food, you're going to love the Greek word here. It's, it's taku. It's close to taco, but it's taku. Uh, it just means quick, like, like a lightning flash. Just, just instantaneously when it happens, not, not soon, but it'll happen just like, uh, just snapping your fingers. I'm going to come taku. I'm going to come suddenly at any moment. And he says, my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Salvation's not a reward, okay? It's a gift. He's talking about giving out the medals and the rewards based on your faithfulness as a Christian. You just can't wait to give you the, your letter jacket if you earned one, if you had enough, you know, got enough playing time. And so, and he calls us to get between the lines and score points. And Homer doesn't have to get up in his pulpit to be one of the best teachers in this church. You teach by your moral example, by showing up at, I mean, Homer and Pam, they go to, as representatives of Christ in this church, they go to anniversary parties, they go to surgeries, they go to funerals, they even go to bar mitzvahs, and that's for Jews. But I mean, they do whatever it takes, you know? And they teach that way. They don't necessarily have to be formal teachers behind a pulpit. But, uh, yeah, so I think they're going to get multiple letter jackets. It's not up to me. But uh, but we always go back to the good, good works thing, right? Olga, where are you, Olga? What is a good, good work? How do we define that? Yeah, yeah. Let you know. I would say let your light shine, but don't toot your own horn. Beware of practicing your righteousness before people to be noticed by them. If you're doing the right thing to impress other people, that's a crummy motivation. All the religions can crank that kind of stuff out. Jesus isn't interested just in that. He wants you to do it. I'll brag on you today. Since, since we're thinking about the rapture um, today, I mean, like Ray and uh, really the whole ward group, I just call you a group because you're like a task group to me. Because, I mean, you've got give these people a task and they will solve the problem for you. But your love language is, is doing things, is serving and organizing and they don't ever get discouraged because they're doing it for the Lord. And sometimes people pat them on the head uh, because they do so much around here. And other times we just take them for granted because they do so much around here and don't complain. And they just always are here. But that's the way it works, you know. And if you're motivated by that, it doesn't matter if anybody knows, notices. If they do notice, it's wonderful. It's nice. But you don't need that to do it because keep doing it because you're not doing it for that reason. That's the stuff that gets rewardable, right? So the rapture is imminent. Um Revelation 22, the one that I like that 
It's an illusion, not a direct statement, but Revelation chapter 4, and, you know, everybody's psyched out by the book of Revelation, Sherry, but it's not that hard. I know that, that diagram may be more complex than you want, but in chapter 1, John the Apostle's commissioned to write the book. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus talks about churches and the church age and things he likes and doesn't like in churches. In chapter 4 and 5, we see the scene in heaven just as the end times are breaking out on earth, and that passage starts with a door being opened in heaven and John being caught up and going through the door. Sounds a lot like the rapture to me, alluded to. Then the bulk of the book talks about the the rise and the fall of the Antichrist. I should say the rise, the rule, and then the fall of the Antichrist. This period of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, which will be seven years of heck on earth, uh, uh, breaking broken down like that. Chapter 19 talks about the second advent. The Old Testament prophets talked about the armies of the world massed against Israel and the Messiah coming down and putting them out of business and setting up a kingdom on earth. That's chapter 20, then eternal state. But I think you see a, a reference to the rapture in this statement in Revelation 4 where we see, after these things I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now Blanche, real quick, since you got fast fingers, not just on the piano, but turning those pages in your Bible, look up James 5, 8, and 9 for me. And when you find it, find it, find those verses, give me a high sign. You don't hear that much anymore. Give me a high sign. What is the high sign, by the way? Just like that? You got it? Okay, don't read it quite yet, but let me read Revelation 4, 1 and 2. After these things, John, who's the human author, Looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice I heard, the voice of Jesus from chapter 1 that commissioned him to write the book, like a trumpet, a command voice said, come up here, and I'll show you what's going to happen in the end times, after these things are the end times. So notice, a door standing open in heaven. Now, Blanche, read it. I said five, and I hope I meant five and not four. Okay. Yeah. He's right at the door, right? Uh First Peter four seven and eight say much the same thing, but you're very you guys are all experts on First Peter now, so you don't need to that need that so much. So yeah, this is an imminent event. It's it's called our our blessed hope, and it's something we look forward to that could happen in the next five minutes, could happen in our lifetime, but might not happen for another thousand years. So that's the first thing I want you to know about. It's imminent. Second, it's going to begin the end times. Uh, look at First Thessalonians one, and it's funny. I've only taught First Peter here twice in thirty years. Haven't taught Job, but I did do one synthetic message on Job. So every twenty nine years, you do one sim- synthetic message on Job. Uh, Eric is wanting me so badly to uh, work the way, work our way through Job, and I'm praying about it. I'm praying about it. But I'm going to do Second Peter, Lord willing, first, and then maybe we'll do Job in, in early. Uh, 2018. But yeah, First Thessalonians. But yeah, I've taught First Thessalonians here several times. I was looking at my notes recently, like three or four times at least, which tells you how much I like it probably, right? But this statement in First Thessalonians 1 is quite often misunderstood in my opinion. Now, if you remember the last time we studied this, the purpose statement of this book, the, the thesis statement is really chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. But I want you to look at just one aspect of this. For they themselves report to us about the kind of reception we had with you in Thessalonica 
and how you turn to God from Greek idols, and then as Christians, now you're serving a living and true God, and you're motivated as you wait for his Son from heaven. Now, waiting for Jesus in heaven is waiting for the rapture event, by definition, right, for church-age Christians. Uh, waiting for the Son of God from heaven, whom God the Father raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now, most of us have been trained to punt the systematic theology, and when we hear about coming wrath, we tend to think of hellfire and damnation, and there is a hell for unbelievers. However, he's not talking about hell. Uh, this is one case where the original language really helps you, because the word for wrath there, orge, in Greek, never refers to hell or sheol. It always refers to temporal, earthly calamity. So let's read it like that. Uh, as Christians, we're supposed to be waiting, looking, longing, for Christ to break open the heavens and get us out of here, even while we continue to be faithful to our responsibilities here on earth until unless that happens. We're waiting for a son from heaven, who he said is preparing places for us and to come and take us back to the prepared places. Remember John 14, whom God the Father raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who's going to rescue us from the wrath of the tribulation that will come in the end times. That's what that's saying there. So I know that's easy to miss and with with no malicious intent, but that's what he's talking about there. And when you go further into this book and look at the major passage on the uh, rapture, as Anthony told you a few minutes ago, First Thessalonians, same book, four thirteen through eighteen, you have kind of that brief dissertation on the tribulation, and then you have references. I mean, to the rapture, I should say, to the rapture. Don't let me say that wrong. And then he goes to a description about the dynamics of the tribulation. He's got the rapture first, tribulation second, Paul does. I'm imposing Paul on the book of Revelation here. But he tells you at the very beginning of the book that as we live our life serving the one who saved us, we're supposed to be looking for, longing for, anticipating the possibility that Christ will come, take us out of here, and then the end times start in which will be climaxed by the second advent of Christ. So we're talking about three things I'd like you to know about the rapture, first of all, is imminent. What does that mean? It's going to happen in our lifetimes, right? Is that what it means? Uh-uh. It means it could happen at any moment, right? It'll happen exactly on time, Ken, based on God's schedule, but we don't know it. Now, what did Jesus say about that? Of the exact time, you don't know. So just assume it could happen at any moment, right? Secondly, it will begin the end times, and that involves the worst of evil, Hitler on steroids for seven years, and then the very best of all things, evil defeated and Christ reigning on planet Earth for a thousand years, and then we get to a perfect universe. It won't even be perfect then, because there'll be believers alive in their physical bodies at the end of the tribulation when Christ comes back, who will go into the millennial kingdom in physical bodies. We're going to have resurrection bodies, right? And they're going to have kids, and they're going to have kids, and some of those kids and grandkids are not going to believe King Jesus in Jerusalem died for their sins and rose again. They're not gonna, I mean, it, it shows you when you look at biblical history, you put humanity in every possible scenario morally and the vast majority blow it. <laughs> I mean, every time, man. And so it's amazing that God could save any of us and it's not in anything we've done, but it tells you that about the depravity of man, right? You don't have to have a two-year-old kid to believe in the depravity of man, but it helps, right? Because you don't train them to say no. Just go watch in the nursery sometime. 
This is why some of you people are afraid to sign up for nursery duty. It's too, too, too traumatic to see what these two and three-year-old kids will do to each other, you know? That's why you have to have adult supervision at all times. But you know that already, right? Now, here's the thing. Um, sometime on Tuesday, either Debbie or I are going to jet to Davis, Oklahoma, so we can get, we call them the Gang of Four. It's We're talking about uh, <laughs> Lincoln, Vivian, Eloise, and Violet. Uh, because John, the world's, world's second greatest husband, I mean, I think Ken Wander's the greatest husband, but Jonathan, my son, is the second greatest husband. He is going to take his wife to this concert in Dallas on Tuesday night. And, you know, obviously we've got nothing else to do, so we're going to drive to Davis and babysit. So, uh, so why not? I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. I hope he doesn't listen to this one. But anyway, so we're going to drive to Davis, get the gang of four. Yeah. And, you know, they're so cute and they're so fun. But man, you get those four kids in the same room, and uh, it's the Chinese, it's the Chinese, uh, you know, letter or Chinese word for chaos. Because uh, we ought to have, in fact, they'll do this. Debbie's been cleaning the house. I mean, it's pristine shape right now. I need a time lapse photography thing because you get those four kids in there. Now, the middle bedroom, um, Jonathan's old bedroom, I guess Jamie's old bedroom, is now the toy room, according to them. That's where we stockpile all the toys, and you know. Within like 30 minutes after they're there, you've got like 57 toys, and the one that Violet's playing with, there are 56 on the floor, Eloise has to have now! You know, and then when Lincoln sees the two little sisters, he he wants it, you know, there's just one thing. If he just has that one thing, life's going to be beautiful. So, you don't train them to be that selfish. They just are built that way, you know, because of the fall. But God loves us anyway, right? So, the rapture's imminent, it will begin the end times, and it has practical implications now. It should be both very comforting and also very convicting. You don't want to be walking out of a bar when the rapture happens. You know, I mean, really, First John basically says that. You don't want to be doing something stupid, foolish, and lazy when the rapture happens. It would be very embarrassing, right? So let's finish uh, and look at the third key truth. Uh, we've seen where... We've seen what, now let's look at the third what it has practical implications. Now, I'm reading from Titus 2, and we just, we mentioned Titus 2 last Wednesday night. Um, one of my favorite passages, it says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all kinds of people, rich, poor, Greek, Jew, everyone who believes, telling us as Christians now to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in present age, the church age, looking for the next event on God's prophetic timetable, which could happen in our lifetimes, could have happened in their lifetimes hypothetically. It's impending. It's imminent. Looking for the blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ to take us back to the prepared places, John 14, who in his first advent gave himself for us on the cross that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself uh, a people for his own possession, zealous, for good deeds. Let me say, the blessed hope gives every believer a no-so salvation. I know when you hear the word hope in English, because the way we the word is used in English, we think of something we're hoping will happen. You know, um, uh, OSU had a, a day off yesterday. Next week, uh, they're going to play uh, Baylor, right? Homecoming. Uh, and, you know, Baylor's an interesting commodity this year. They can be really good or really bad, depending. So I'm hoping OSU will beat them next next uh, week. But I wouldn't bet on it. I don't bet on football games, you know. 
tried and it didn't work you know, for a while. We tried to double the mission fund that one year, and it was a bad deal. But, you know, I might say I hope that um, based on his first appointment that President Trump gets to nominate many more Supreme Court justices. I hope that will happen. You know, I'm hoping, but I don't know if it will or not. So when we see hope in English, we tend to think it means something. We're, we're thinking about something that might happen but might not. The word hope uh, in the New Testament is the translation of a word elpis, which means a positive anticipation of something you know is going to happen. It's looking forward to something. I like to use the example of a little boy waiting for his birthday party. You know, uh, my mom threw some great birthday parties for me as a little boy. I was the only son and the oldest of four. And I just remember, man, she did a great job setting up my birthday party. And when you really think you're the center of the universe, which I did, and still that's my default position many times anyway, uh, I just thought that was the greatest thing in the world. But when she told me, and you know, she, you know I realize she's not God, I and mean, she's got limited funds, and she might be sick in the hospital, couldn't do it. But when she talked about my birthday party for that next two weeks, I kind of lived with a happy glow, Trey, because I was just looking forward to that birthday party so much. And this is what... The rapture should be for us. It's something we're looking forward to. This could happen this afternoon. I gotta go, you know, report to the boss tomorrow. Yeah, but you know what? The rapture could happen before, during, or after. It's not so we can avoid our responsibilities now, but it, it just tempers everything else. It puts sugar on everything when you think about it. So the blessed hope is based on and gives us assurance of a no-so salvation. This is something we're thinking might happen, but might never happen. It's gonna happen. It could happen in our lifetime. And it ought to be a comfort to us. In fact, at the end of that first Thess passage, he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words, because no matter how bad it gets, Christ wins in the end, and you might be living in the rapture generation. You might get to go directly to heaven without having to go through terminal diseases or being murdered or whatever was going to happen to us, right? So for believers, the rapture is a blessed hope because we're looking forward to the fact we're going to be part of that. Now, what if you die before the rapture? You're going to miss the rapture? The first Thess passage says they're, they're not going to miss it. They're going to be, in fact, they're going to get resurrected first, right? Um, so you can't lose in this deal. But it's very comforting, very motivating, I think, for us to do a lot of good, good deeds because Jesus is going to bring his rewards uh, with him at the rapture event to give to us based on how faithful we've been to him. So the capital C church, the worldwide church, all born-again believers of different colors, countries, cultures, should see the rapture as comforting, but it should also be kind of convicting. 1 John 2, 28-3, reference to the rapture here. Little children, he doesn't call unsaved people little children, by the way. This is the Apostle John. Abide in him. Be centered on him, not just the week of the Lord's Supper, but every day as you live your Christian life. So that when he appears at the rapture, the appearance of Christ, the imminent appearing is the rapture, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming because we're in the middle of a drug deal or something or we're cheating on a test. That's probably more realistic for most of us. I mean, uh, I haven't caught many people cheating on tests as a college professor, but I've caught a couple. I mean, I've caught a, a girl cheating on the final exam. And that's very traumatic for everybody, you know. And I'm not saying she's not born again. I don't know if she is or not. But it'd be kind of embarrassing to be cheating on a test when you get raptured. So he says, you know, kind of be centered on Christ, not pushing your own selfish agenda. Then he says, see how great a love the Father's bestowed on us. Put your name on the blank there, okay? On Blanche Britton, on Phyllis Davis, on uh, um, on uh, Tommy Lovett. Drew, double 
I did double clutch there to get your name there, Tommy. Sorry. Uh, and this guy, you should see him with a gun. He and Dale were the only two that could hit the target last week, by the way. You know, so uh, maybe it was a good thing I wasn't in the in the active military because you know I apparently can't hit anything from a distance. But uh, it was embarrassing. But you know, we'll do it again sometime, right? Okay. Like tonight? No. Uh, I got plans. You know, I got to get ready for the gang of four. They're coming. You know, but for for this reason, the world doesn't know us because we got an out of this world connection with God. Because it did not know him. And then look at this, Carol, 3-2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Even Christians are going to be doing something as embarrassing when Christ comes back. We are children of God. And it has not yet appeared as to what we shall be. We're going to get glorified bodies. Now, Natalie, you won't recognize me, okay? I'm going to have a full head of hair, okay? I'll be wearing contacts, you know? I'll be a full 6-1, even if I don't tease my hair up like I do now and stuff like that. Uh, but here's what we know. When he appears at the rapture event, we shall be like him. And we're going to see him fully like he is because we're going to have a glorified body. That's a rapture passage. That's another rapture passage. Love that one. And then 1 Corinthians 15, we said it's one of the three big ones. But I didn't read the last verse on purpose, talking about both comforting and exhorting power of the rapture event. Therefore, in light of the imminent raptures described in the previous paragraph there, in First Corinthians, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, even when you're not getting the warm fuzzies you deserve from everybody else, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's all about good, good works, and the good, good works are all going to be rewarded. So, you feel more rapture ready than you did before, 40 minutes ago? Maybe. I hope so. Uh, where you're going to find the rapture in the Bible, the term, not going to find it, but it's referred to, rapturo, to be caught up. Um, where are you going to find major passages on the rapture? I'd say John 14, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thess 4. What is the rapture? It's imminent. could happen any moment. It's going to begin the end times, and it has practical impact now, right? So that's what we covered. But what we didn't cover, and in the last couple minutes we will, is when's it going to happen? I don't want you to be setting dates or being influenced by those who do. And there's always a market for people who are going to set dates. Whether they're doing it for that reason or not, you can sell a lot of books for a short period of time. Now, after the date comes, nobody wants to buy your book anymore, except people who write sermons about them. You know, then we got to write their, read their book again. But, um, yeah, uh, Jesus says, of that day and hour, no one knows. You know, except for Hal Lindsey. Or, you know, except for Harold Camping. And Hal never set a date, by the way. He got pretty close there. Uh, he said, this generation, after 1948, he's making the generation longer. Well, everybody knows a biblical generation is 40 years, oh, 50 years, or 60 years, or 70 years, or 120 years. That's how long Moses lived. So watch out for setting any kind of thing like that. So here's what you saw initially. This was uh, from British online newspaper, a respectable newspaper, talking about the most recent thing. But some of you who are a little older Remember the the one the most recent one that got a whole lot of publicity just for for months was a guy named Harold Camping who started this thing called Family Radio, which he says Family Radio said Family Radio was the substitute for the churches. All the churches, including this one and First Baptist Church and Bethel Assembly, they're all apostate. That's what Harold Camping said. The only way you can know God is through listening to Family Radio out of Oakland, California. And uh, I thought, can any good thing come out of Oakland? But that, that's just me. And then he became famous when, and this wasn't the first time, 
He specifically said about a year before that on May 21st, 2011, Jesus was coming back. The rapture was going to happen just before it was going to take place. And he based that on a few passages that we referred to, plus reading a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament passages that didn't even talk about the rapture, because the rapture, hey, Blanche, then we see the, ramp, the rapture is a mystery, right? So by definition, it's not in the Old Testament, right? But Harold Camping saw it in the Old Testament. Plus, he, he counted like how many steps in the Great Pyramid divided by pi. He got all these numbers and ended up with May, I'm not kidding you, May 21st, 2011, rapture's going to happen, told his people to sell all their stuff, liquidate everything. A lot of them naively did. And then on May 22nd, remember what he said? Did he say, I was wrong? And he said, I miscalculated. I didn't mean May. I'm sorry. I meant October. I mean, that's literally what he said. I was five months off. So keep the money coming, folks, because this is the only legit thing God's speaking through family radio with me. And, and you know, and again, we laugh at it. So what does the world do to it? The world laughs us to scorn, Debbie, because they, they think Ray believes this stuff. And, of course, she doesn't. But that's the way it's kind of pictured. And what you don't know, he did this before. He wrote a book called 1994, in which he predicted, and it came out in 1993. They always come out about a year before so they can sell books, right? Um, and he had like a palatial mansion in Hawaii. So he's going to be good rapture or no rapture. You know, that's the thing. But uh, these guys always do that. Uh, but he predicted that somewhere between September, so the guy who would later say May 21st is it, and then I'm in October. The first time he did this, 1994, he said it was going to be sometime between September 15th and September 17th, 1994. And when they asked why he could not give a specific date back then, I guess he got better uh, years later, he said, well, Scripture says no one knows the day nor the hour. So according to camping, you can know the month and the year, but you can't know the day. Now, I mean, any smart unbeliever will punt that into oblivion. And it's my job to tell you, you ought to punt it just as hard. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus says. But they're always going to be out there. So, uh, I'll end here. No applause, please. Uh, I think when I was a younger Christian, when I heard messages like this, I thought, that's cool to know this stuff. But you mean you're telling me this thing is imminent, but it's not going to happen in my lifetime? I mean, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, I don't want to wait. I mean, I know 2,000 years of church history, everybody else has waited, but it, this is me. I want it now, you know? That's kind of was my attitude. And, you know, even in seminary, I kind of thought, yeah, it's kind of a bummer that every generation of Christians has been looking for the blessed hope, and it didn't happen. And then it dawned on me, and I think this is the answer to that one, even if the rapture doesn't happen for another 2,000 years. And wouldn't it be like God, you know, I mean, the, the story really begins in earnest with Abraham, 2000 B.C., he's in Iraq, he ends up in Israel, his people are the line through which Messiah comes. So for 2,000 years, they're believing in a promised Messiah, that's how they get saved, faith in the promised Messiah. And now 2,000 years later, roughly about the same distance from the cross as Abraham was, we're looking back at the provided Savior. Wouldn't it be like God, not for it to be 2,000 and 2,000, but maybe 4,000, just to give us that much more grace? Humanity could be. I don't think that'll happen for lots of reasons, just geopolitically, but it could. But even if the rapture doesn't happen uh, in our lifetime, much less 2,000 years from now, all of us today, right now, are just a split second away from eternity anyway, aren't we? 
Is that not correct? So of course we're supposed to live as if this could be the last day. Of course, that's one of the things that should motivate us to give our best to the Lord because we might not be here next week. And you know, uh, James says, uh, you know, we say that uh, tomorrow or the next day we're going to do something great for God. Well, how dare you say that? You don't even know if you're going to be here tomorrow, right? So at one level, you got to keep a balance there, of course. But um, the idea, well, hasn't God deceived the church up to this point? No, not at all. He knows when it's going to happen. He also knows everybody, every Christian should live as if they're a heartbeat away from being with him, because you are, whether the rapture happens or not. For me, I'm not the John Wayne type. I'm very much for the rapture, okay, for my own personal interests. But uh, I think I should be living as if I could see Jesus this afternoon, whether it's by the rapture or some other means, because that's the only way to really think, I think, in a divine point way, without being morbid. I mean, I go to the gym, I work out and stuff, I'm, I take vitamins, you know, I'm going to live to be 120 because I looked half dead when I was 60 and that kind of stuff. But uh, I think it's, it's always that balance. And I think the Bible always teaches balance. You know, is Jesus son of God, son of man? He's both. Is there one God or three persons who are God? Both. Is God interested in faith or works? Both, but works as an effect, not a cause. There's always this balance where God is. And I think as we think about the end times and it gets exciting and we think, wow, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be great if that happened? The whole family's together. Wouldn't it be great to be all raptured from church? Yeah, it'd be cool. You know? But you can't presume on it, right? What was the first temptation for Jesus? Hey, jump off the pinnacle of the temple. That would be a great publicity stunt. You know you're not going to die. The angels will have to save you. And Jesus says, you don't put God to the test. You don't presume on God. So let's be excited about the reality of the rapture and the possibility it could happen like real quick. But let's not presume it's going to. And just keep shining the light as long as we can. Right? Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray the reality of this imminent event that's going to be so uh, pivotal in your program for history, that reality might be very comforting, exciting, and motivating for us, and also very convicting, uh, that we would be convicted not to wait until next year or next month to get serious about serving you, but we need to be serious about serving you right now, living for the one who died for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.